The following program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions. Welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, making a partnership of good health. The studio lines are open for your calls and questions. Call 973-267-9687. Now, here's your host, Tom Wood. Good morning and welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, creating a partnership of good health. I'm your host, Tom Wood from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We are the largest subspecialized neurosurgical group in the state of New Jersey. Our main office is located at 310 Madison Avenue in Morristown, New Jersey. Today is a live call-in show, so I'm going to give you the live number, which is 973-267-9687. Again, it's 973-267-9687. Some news from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. Again, our new office is located at 2345 Lamington Road, Suite 107, and that's in Bedminster. That's our sixth office throughout the state, trying to make it convenient for everyone to get to see us. Um, our spine center is up and operational, and that really basically what that means is if you're suffering from back pain or any back disorder, you can actually call us uh, first. Um, although we're neurosurgery, probably around 90% of the patients we see don't require surgery. So when you do come see us, we basically put you on a plan and send you for th uh, physical therapy, pain management, and really monitor um, your back problem. In case you ever do need surgery, you're already with us. Um, you get to know who we are, and we can monitor where you go with that. So always check our new website, which should be coming, launching, excuse me, at the end of May. Um, and you can uh, visit that at ansdocs.com. Again, that's ansdocs.com. And again, always visit the AnswersLiveNJ.com website for this show. Uh, the streaming, uh, they stopped the streaming of the show, but you can always go to the AnswersLiveNJ.com and listen to these shows over and over again if you miss something. Okay, today I uh, brought back um, one of my special guests who basically is becoming my regular on the show, uh, Dr. Liz, um, who is from the Psychological and Educational, Educational Consulting uh, here in Parsippany. Uh, to reach Dr. Liz, her phone number is 973-400-8371, and you can visit her uh, website at www.psychconsult.weebly.com. Again, that's psychconsult.weebly.com. Good morning again, Dr. Liz. Good morning, and thank you for having me back. Thank you so much. Um, it's been so interesting really learning about all this um, ADD and ADHD and all the things that most parents, including myself, are concerned with with our children um, when it comes to behavior problems and education problems. Uh, stressful enough with the life going on, trying to be successful in raising our kids. And then, um, you know, as parents, we're challenged with a lot of issues. Um, and uh, one of the big issues that, um, again, we've discussed, and that's why today's show is going to be on, is autism. Um, I know a few people who um, have children with autism, um, Asperger's, and we've been talking before the show and before we even decided to have the show, and it's interesting how this has all changed, um, mm -hmm. and we'll get into that and the listeners understand what I mean, um, but it is a scary thing for parents, and um, it's probably very common. Uh, talking to someone somewhere, you always hear someone has autism or Asperger's or some type of behavioral problem. So today's show, um, we're really going to just touch 
really touch the surface of autism um, for everyone. And we're going to bring Dr. Liz back, and we'll get into it um, over the next several months and really, really educate you on what this is and the disorder, um, how to look for signs and symptoms. So today, again, to call Dr. Liz today and ask questions, it's 973-267-9687. Okay, Dr. Liz, let's start out by what is autism? So autism spectrum disorder, it's also referred to as autism. And in the past, prior to the DSM-5, which is a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 5th edition, um, there was the old DSM, which broke down autism into several additional categories than what there is now. Right now, it's just autism spectrum disorder, and it's rated on a level 1, 2, or 3 severity. Prior to that, there used to be autism, uh, excuse me, Asperger's, Rett's disorder and childhood disintegrative disorder, or PDD-NOS as well, um, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified. And for a lot of children who demonstrated some symptoms but not the full requirement, neurologists, developmental pediatricians, psychologists, psychiatrists would diagnose these children with PDD-NOS, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified. All those categories are gone. Okay. And now it's just autism spectrum disorder, levels 1, 2, and 3 severity. And autism spectrum disorder is broken down into three general areas of where you can see a developmental delay. And one is social interaction, two is verbal and nonverbal communication, and three is repetitive behavior. And just to give you a little bit of perspective, it, autism has its roots in brain development. So it's a neurologically based disorder. Um, just, and I say that because I want to clarify for parents that it's not something that you did or didn't do while your child was, while you're raising your child, something you fed them that you didn't feed them, the way you held them, you didn't hold them. It's not based on that. It's, it's, there's a neurological basis to so this. So this is during gestation, just like uh, <clears throat> anything that, well, while they're forming, something happened. Correct. And what that physiological underpinning is is still being researched up the wazoo, and we don't really have any clear-cut answers. We have some directions and leads, but I don't think we anybody really has a clear-cut answer. Um, it's nothing that you see in genetic... Um, in the, I should say the prenatal tests and the blood right. tests. There is no screening for it. It's more of the obvious symptoms emerge most predominantly between ages two and three. Okay. However, there are some early warning signs to look for. And what that does sometimes is it puts parents up. On, they become paranoid and they're right, looking for signs. That. But it's also good to know how your child is developing and if you're seeing some signs of maybe a, a language development delay or a lack of eye contact, some of those more obvious signs that we all know about, then definitely to seek consultation. Okay. Just to reiterate, um, the word autism, uh, autism, is that used still? That's um, So when you're speaking to someone, they you might not hear them say, oh, my, my child has um, Asperger's. That name is kind of being, I guess, um, It's put, kind put of been faded out, yes. And that was another one of the categories. I apologize. I didn't mention Asperger's. So Asperger's um, and childhood disintegrative disorder, Rett's, disorder as well as the PDD NOS categories those are all gone okay so it's hard now because parents worried what if what does that mean my child is a higher level or a higher functioning child on the autism spectrum so now that, that they would be classified more as a level one so level one two three three being the most severe one would be less severe but it's the diagnostic and statistical manual has the breakdown for you 
<clears throat> so anyone making that diagnosis is looking at basically these three areas, the social interaction, the verbal and nonverbal communication, and repetitive behaviors right. to make that assessment of what level they're on. Okay. So not that parents want our children labeled as anything, but Correct. I guess to put it into um, understanding for the listeners. So when someone would say, oh, you know, your child, and they say, oh, my child has Asperger's, I guess really what you're saying is uh, my son has, uh, you know, say, autism level one. Right. And they're higher functioning. Autism level two. <laughs> Right. I guess basically that's how it is. Right. Um, why don't we break those down a little bit if we can? Um, let's use the new terms, autism level one, and try to break through these, um, like the social interaction. Let's talk about that, what we okay. would see in the levels. So in terms of social interaction, there tends to be little interest in interacting with peers. And so for young children, it's developmentally appropriate that initially they engage in parallel play. And what that means is one child is sitting next to another child and they're playing. And they're each playing, but they're not playing together. And that's appropriate developmentally in the first couple of years of life. And then they want to navigate to playing more interactive games with each other. So pretend play, taking the figurines, taking a car, and now we're crashing into each other. For children who are on the spectrum, they tend to engage in parallel play for well beyond what's developmentally appropriate. So they'll go into <clears throat> kindergarten, and they're still engaging in parallel play. <clears throat> and at that point, they're supposed to be able to, and that's supposed to, you know, I say that when I put quotes around it, they're supposed to be able to play with other peers and, and create games and, you know, fantasies and situations, um, imitating adults, you know, daddy's going to work and mommy's right. going to work and um, and we're making dinner and we're walking the dog. So and role playing and right. picking characters. You're the mom, I'm the dad, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, and that that with someone with the spectrum disorder, I'm getting trying to get the lingo down, um, that really carries on throughout their life. Um, so that social interaction um, difficulty really, depending on what spectrum they're on or level, um, does carry on through their adolescence and their adulthood. Yes. So for older children slash adolescents, they have difficulty integrating into groups with peers, joining a group, having a having a conversation. Um, they talk at people instead of to them, and so they don't notice the social cues like, I'm done with the topic. So I'm sure you've heard the, the term, the little professor. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time, um, again, I'm not generalizing, but they tend to have very clear-cut strengths, gifts even, and they're the savant, they have savant abilities in, let's say, music, or they have a great immense interest in certain things like trains, dinosaurs, uh, cars, and so they have the wealth of knowledge and they just share it. But they share it because they want to convey this information. So it looks like they're talking to their peers, but they're talking at them and they're not taking note of this person is now losing interest and it's been five minutes that I've been talking about trains and this person doesn't want to hear it anymore. Right. They want to they go play. They don't pick up on those subtle cues. Right. So, you know, this is an area where it's tough. And for some, they genuinely would rather not in interact with peers, like the one or two few interactions and that's it. Right. And they just then want to go back and, and, and be with their area, whatever that is of great interest to them, or talking to a particular person in their life, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling that they have a very clear-cut relationship with who understands their cues. Right. Now, um, of course, just from watching television and, and, and reading and learning, um, I've seen shows where um, 
a lot of um, spectrum disorder children um, go for therapy. And you'd say, you know, the parents will say, oh, they've improved so much now. They, they're interacting more. They're talking now. What, what type of therapy, I'm maybe jumping a little ahead no, or, or okay. off it. What type of therapy, um, who would they go to? I'm assuming someone like yourself. Mm -hmm. But what would you do in therapy? And is that a part of the brain that can be trained or developed? Or, or I don't even want to use the word fixed because I don't think anyone's broken. It's just who they are. Right. Um, but d how does that work? How does going to see someone like you make them better if they didn't have it at all? So when I work with, let's say, adolescents who are on the autistic spectrum, um, I do a lot of perspective taking. So I want to take them out of their world, their one-sided world. And we talk about different perspectives, um, which is really hard because they really, they're very black and white in their thinking. They um, don't really see a lot of areas of gray. So I'll do a lot of brainstorming and problem solving with them because with the black and white thinking is that cognitive rigidity. So you see a lot of meltdowns. So if you know my pants don't fit or I don't put in the right leg and then the left leg, and one day you're rushing me, now I put in the left leg and not the right leg first, there's a meltdown. There's this need for consistency in the routine, and breaking away from it is very anxiety-provoking. Um, so just having them experiment as they're ready to be able to try thing, doing things a little bit differently. Just having the conversations, and I tell this to parents of young children who come to me, because I do a lot of parent coaching, and so for their younger children, I like to give them the tools to be able to use with them every day. So I'll say to them, so ask them what they want for dinner. And then say, oh, you know, I, I don't have that today. Um, how about we'll make that later on in the week? What would you like today instead? Or what? give me some choices, because usually it's a one answer. So if they can generate multiple answers, they're now working on that skill of, having multiple choices, which is really hard. So how about pizza, maybe hot dogs, or I've said to parents, open up a magazine and look at pictures of people. How does that person feel? Trying, trying to recognize another person's emotion other than their own, because they know how they feel. Right. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's a skill you have to build. Um, but what's happening here? Oh, there's a mom and a child interacting and the child is frowning. What do you think is happening here? And they may or may not know the answer. And to say, well, it looks like the child got hurt and mom is trying to comfort them. What do you think happened? And trying to say, oh, maybe they were playing on the swing and they fell off and scraped his knee and he doesn't feel well and he's sad and we, they have to clean his boo-boo. Right. So playing these scenarios, which I think we all do with our kids when they're younger and they seek it, when you're reading books, you're asking questions, what's happening here? Where's the butterfly? Where is the butterfly going? Where does the bird live? And I think earlier in development for some kids who are higher functioning, who are going to be more of your level one, who are the Asperger's, how we've known them to be as having Asperger's, um, they can engage in that kind of conversation. But... Um, for the other children, it's a little bit harder, and you have to work on that skill. Right. Um, I'm going to hold that thought because I have a question on that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. I'm Tom Wood of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. Suffering from neck or back pain can truly disrupt your life. Every day, I hear of the stories of people whose lives have been devastated by nerve pain, but who are afraid to see a neurosurgeon. They're scared of surgery. But at Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists, we make getting back to the life you want possible using a variety of minimally invasive treatments. 
Our group of specialists are among the best trained doctors in the state, the leaders in stroke and minimally invasive spine and brain tumor procedures, and we view surgery as the last option. Don't be afraid to end your pain. Trust Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We have eight offices throughout New Jersey and are affiliated with most healthcare systems. Call 973-285-7800 or visit us at ansdocs.com. That's ansdocs.com. Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We've truly got your back. Welcome back to Answers Live. I'm Tom Wood from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist. We're talking again uh, this week with Dr. Liz, and we're discussing autism. Um, we left on the break um, discussing um, really some, some interesting topics on autism, and I want to get jump right back into that topic when we were talking about um, the social interaction and that, um, you know, I asked what, how someone can go see someone like you, and, and they seem to get better when they have therapy or coaching. So basically what I think what you're telling me is, is basically you're teaching these children. Um, they're in their own world, so you're bringing them out, and you're adding more resources to their world. Mm -hmm. So although they like things the same every day, so every day they eat chicken nuggets, Right. But now you're introducing pizza and tuna fish right. slowly. Now they're normal in their world. They can eat chicken nuggets, pizza, and tuna fish. Right. And I guess that's how you slowly integrate them just with food, with everything into their world. And that's where having this therapy and coaching and someone like you helps. Um, I want to get into a little bit more about the um, verbal portion. Um, a few people... Uh, where their children have um, a spectrum disorder, I do notice the verbal a lot with them. Um, they speak at you. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they kind of yell at you. Um, and sometimes they just don't talk at all. You have right. to really pull it out. So what's going on there? So in terms of verbal communication, there's also the, the, the nonverbal part. So sometimes you have children who don't develop speech. Um, and it comes later on in life, or sometimes they don't develop it at all. And so we, we have to find alternative ways of communicating, um, whether that's through um, facilitated devices, communication devices. There's The iPads are very popular right now as uh, a way for children who are nonverbal to communicate. Because for years, the thought was they were nonverbal and they weren't taking in their world. And um, I, I had the very wonderful opportunity to work in a private school for children on the autistic spectrum where there's a whole person inside who's stuck and they can't communicate verbally, but there's tons of thought. And everyone thought that they were just not a part of the world and they didn't have thoughts and opinions and preferences. And so my work with them then and now is to, is to help them type out what they're thinking and express their preferences and have their parents act out on those preferences. So being able to express like, I want to wear this style of clothes or I want to, I want this sh type of sheet on my bed or I want this comforter on my bed, giving them a voice and enacting change in their environment because for so long they felt powerless, which then also increases the amount of acting out because if you can't communicate and no one's getting what you want it must be so frustrating so so frustrating and it was it's amazing to watch that stress decrease and behaviors decline and mood improve when you see that they speak they vent what's on their mind and we make changes i'll work with the parent to say you know your child is saying that they don't like the decor in their room it's a little babyish it's what you chose and parents will say, but I didn't know that he ever noticed that. I didn't know that right. he had a, a, 
a say, wanted a different way. But now, you know, we work forward towards making those changes so they feel powerful in their environment. For some children, they develop speech and then they lose it and there's this regression. And that's a sure shot sign that when you start to see regression where there's uh, skills that were once gained and now lost suddenly and without a real reason, it's a sure sign that something is not going well in terms of there there might be autism spectrum uh, disorder going on. Um, For children who are verbal, you see a lot of scripting and sometimes echolalia. And echolalia is the repetition of the last sound they heard. And they just repeat it again and again. Uh. <clears throat> scripting, um, I've seen adolescents do this. They'll u- they'll uh, memorize scripts from like a show and then they repeat them. Or they'll memorize scripts like from a parent saying something or someone something they've heard somewhere and they just memorize the script and they repeat it again and again and sometimes it's useful because they're trying to tell you something and they just can't find their own words to express themselves verbally and sometimes it's they're just stuck and they don't know what to say so they'll say those things especially in times of when they're feeling uncertain about their environment right so um i guess to bring it up is is when uh, years ago they had the rain man movie um, as I'm listening to you, I remember that was actually pretty well done then because I remember that he would re- he'd hear something on the TV or I Love Lucy's show, remember that? And uh, he would repeat it over and over and over again. And sometimes it actually was part of what he was trying to say, but it was using right. scripts. and exactly. Um, was that, was that um, depicting of autistic spectrum, that show, mm-hmm. do you feel? Because that was yes. really, I guess, a long time ago, but it was really showing us a, that type of world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for uh, uh, adolescents who are repeating lines um, when I was working at the school and even now, I'll say, let's listen to the script. What could he or she be possibly trying to tell us? And I, I don't think it's just mindless repetition. Sometimes it can be, but sometimes it's not. And so just taking a step back and saying, what are they trying to tell us here? Right. And when you're working with these children, say you do that exercise with the parent, and and can you tell when the child... Uh, get like you you do get that like uh, the, what is a child trying to say and then you figure it out do they acknowledge that yes that's what i was trying to tell you do they give you signs sometimes sometimes the big sign is when you see a change in the behavior so you see let's say um i have one child now who's burping and spitting right and he's trying to express how angry he is because there's a certain family stressor that's going on and he can't verbalize it he can't put it into words so i said to the mom instead of us trying to band-aid this behavior let's try to understand what's going on what has do what do you think he's heard or seen how do you think he's responding to your emotional state because another thing that's really well developed is the nonverbal ability to pick up just what the the emotion and that's a skill that we all had when we were pre-verbal ourselves and we lose that skill over time when we develop our verbal ability some of us continue to go on to be very sensitive people who right. can pick up the mood or the emotion in a room these children really rely on that okay so they're very in tune very in tune with their parents like they'll know that mom is upset and mom will say well I, i'm not acting upset nobody gets it Right. And he gets it. So I <clears throat> I will work with mom to help her cope with whatever is going on or dad or sister or brother so that there is an improvement there. And then you see an improvement. So I take a step back and I really take a look at the bigger picture. 
what is this child trying to communicate to us instead of us going and saying, okay, so every time you don't burp or spit, I'll give you an M&M or something like that. I don't, I'm not a big band-aider. I hate that. I'd rather take a step back and say, what is he responding to? What is he trying to tell us? I'm upset. I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. And I'll say to the parent, you need to sit down and tell your child what's going on. Don't think that he or she doesn't see it. So treat them as if he really is 14. Now, do you provide that therapy to the parents? Absolutely. So part of coming to you, you see the parents separately or always together? or Sometimes the parent and the child together because parents are a huge source of information, very, very valuable, and I really respect the role of the parent. Parent is the expert. I don't take that away from anybody. Um, I'll work with the school. I'll bring in the child and the parent, and sometimes we'll separate. We'll do half and half, sometimes just the child, sometimes just the parent. It depends on where... The, the who's struggling the most at the time where we I feel like we need to do something different. Okay. Um, of course, the show is only 30 minutes. We still have a little bit of time, but I wanted to, we're going to bring you back and delve really into all this stuff more deeply over the next few months. But for people listening, let's go through a little bit of the early warning signs, um, if we can, um, starting, I guess, from birth to, say, five months. Um, so... This information that I have is not only information that I've read, but it's all like documented in the literature. This is also information that I gained from parents of children on the autistic spectrum. And now at that point, their children were adolescents when they were giving me this information. I said, looking back, what were some of the early warning signs? And this is what parents told me from age basically birth to five months. They had children who were overly sleepy, disinterested in their environment completely and of course there's a period of time where your child is just sleeping 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 but when they come out of that there's still a lack of interest five months they're pretty interactive right right you know they're they're smiling they're swatting they recognize people they can track them in their environment a lot of that isn't happening um limited or no eye contact um at all Um, One mom said that her child laid in his crib even when he wasn't sleeping, he wasn't swatting at toys, and he wasn't really interested in mom, and he just would sleep. And uh, when he was upset, the one thing, the two things that made him feel better was the sound of water running and movement. Mm -hmm. But it had to be a particular rhythmic movement. Excuse me. Um, At six months... Children were overly distressed by sounds and noisy environments. And most children are going to be frightened or startled, but after a while they tolerate. Children on the autistic spectrum didn't. Okay. It was each time they heard loud sounds or going into an environment where there was more people than that what they were used to was very overwhelming and frightening. And they would scream and then shut down and fall asleep. Okay. Another thing that was seen as six months is banging their head or chin on the floor or a a wall when just they're overstimulated and they can't take any more information coming in from their environment or from interaction with people. Okay. Um, How about, say, um, around a year? So at a year, um, once table food is offered, there's a lot of gagging and refusing food because of texture. Um, the texture, again, walking on grass or sand is very, very upsetting. Okay, um, so more touching and mm-hmm. textile, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to save some of this, and we'll bring it back um, on the next show. 
um, because we're running out of time for today. So uh, we definitely know where to leave off on our next show. <laughs> um, we have so much more to talk about, but unfortunately it's a 30-minute show. But again, I want to thank you for um, really just touching the surface with autism. Um, like I said, we will be bringing Dr. Liz back, and we're going to delve more into that, and I'll let you all know when that show is. Uh, just listen for the promos on the radio. Again, that was Dr. Liz, and to reach her, it's 973-400-8371. I'm Tom Wood from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. To reach us, it's 973-285-7800, or visit us on the web at ansdocs.com, ansdocs.com. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful Sunday. Join us again next week for Answers Live, your community medical connection making a partnership of good health. The preceding program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decision.